0: for your goodness and your mercy. We trust as we preach this today, as you have directed, that you will anoint me to say what it is the Holy Spirit wants me to say, and that you'll anoint the ears of the people in this sanctuary and those on the internet that listen to this, anoint their ears to hear what it is the Spirit of God is saying. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I have a message God wants me to preach. You can be seated. I have a message that I believe God wants me to preach, and then at the close of this service today, we'll uh, just take a few moments and close with a word of prayer for our nation and for the midterm elections that are coming up in November. Now, in Jeremiah the eighteenth chapter, in the fifteenth verse, Jeremiah the eighteenth chapter, in the fifteenth verse, notice what the Bible says, because my people have forgotten me. Notice it doesn't say sinners have forgotten me. They never knew him to start with, but my people have forgotten me. They've burned incense to worthless idols. They've caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in pathways. and These pathways are paths that are built by men that look right, but are not built by God. And God's people left the ancient paths to walk on paths that were built by men that look right but are not built by God. Notice to walk in pathways and not on a highway. This highway here is a road established and built by God. And notice his people left the road that was built by God to walk on that which men had made and looked good to men. And in verse 16, because the people had done these things in burning incense to worthless idols and so forth, to make their land desolate in a perpetual hissing, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. I'll scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I'll show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. In other words, God's saying when things get bad because you've forgotten me and you refuse to turn to me and you're going to do your own thing, he's telling these people here that when they cry out that he'll turn his back and not show him his face. Now, Jeremiah wrote this, and he was an Old Testament prophet. one who God used to see the future and to warn the people. If he were here in the United States today, what would he speak into the television cameras and other media outlets of America? Would it be the messages we are currently hearing from some of the most famous preachers that are on nationwide media Are the pastors of so many mega churches in this hour. What would Jeremiah be saying? What would he be preaching? To know what Jeremiah would say to the United States. We would need to know what was going on in Judah. Where he ministered. And see if those things which were going on in Judah. Are similar to what's going on in America today. And if so, then Jeremiah's message to Judah, which he preached to Judah at the direction of the Holy Spirit, would be exactly what he would say to America today. In the early part of the book of Jeremiah, we see that Israel started out as a great nation, Judah. They started out loving God, seeking and honoring him. But as time went on, they left God, as we read. They left the ancient paths of righteousness to serve worthless idols. We spoke several weeks ago about idol worship and Christians and idol worship right here from this sanctuary. But they left God to do these things. They left the path God had for them to walk in their own ways and serve idols. How did Judah change from the beginning and as time went on? They stopped honoring God. They stopped praying to him and seeking him. They became idolaters, as we've said, and they began worshiping a false goddess known as the Quote unquote, queen of heaven, a sex goddess, which really is no goddess at all, but just the devil in disguise. Judah shed the blood of innocent children by burning them in fire as human sacrifices to their false gods. Think of that. Would we do that here in the United States? We wouldn't burn them in fire. we just have them sucked out or cut out of the womb. And so they would offer their children by burning them in fire... As human sacrifices to their false gods. Sexual sin was rampant, including homosexuality, lesbianism, wickedness, and backsliding, and rebellion, and a greediness for financial prosperity. I believe in financial prosperity, but you can go over the line with it too and talk too much about it, put too much emphasis on it. All this was going on in Judah. They started out right, but got off the, the path God had for them. In a similar fashion, the United States of America served God as our ancestors left Great Britain and came to America to be able to worship God freely and unhindered. America was founded on the Bible and on the godly principles of Christianity. The Bible was used as a textbook in the public schools of early America. America grew to be great, but like Judah... America has strayed from the ancient pathways and has all but left God to serve worthless idols. In the last half century or so, last 50 years plus, America has lost her moral fiber. God has been kicked out of the public school system He left, and when he left, light left, and you see what is left. It was unheard of to think of mass shootings in schools when I was growing up. Politicians here in the United States of America have been passing ungodly laws and regulations at every turn. Perverseness in television... And in almost all media, it's hard to watch a television, even a good, clean show, and they cut to the commercials and some of the bizarre things that you see and the perverse things that are in the commercials, much less in in many of the television programs. You're sitting there watching a good, clean movie, they cut to a commercial, and there's all kinds of lewd, sexual things in the commercial. All sorts of sexual things. On television, drunkenness, drug addiction, disobedience to parents, gambling, pornography, and all sorts of sexual promiscuity. Same-sex marriages have been legalized just recently—not just a couple of years ago. Murder throughout the land, in schools, in cities like we've not seen it. The Supreme Court allowing unborn babies to be slaughtered quote-unquote legally in abortion clinics, approximately 60 million since 1973. You think of that sometime. I said to a friend of mine some years ago, I said... United States, a great nation, and just that quick he came back and he said, Terry, he always called me Terry, he said, Terry, no nation can be great that kills babies like we do. And it's the truth. 60 million little unborn babies slaughtered in their mother's womb. It's unbelievable to me that a woman would stand there and bang on the doors of the Supreme Court fighting for the right to kill her own baby. America as a whole has all but forgotten God. The book of Psalms says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. You know... It's interesting to compare America with Sodom, which eventually fell. In Sodom you see homosexuality, of course, and it's it's interesting, homosexuality is typically the one thing, the one sin that comes to the forefront and is accepted and applauded before a nation crumbles. And this United States, growing up, when I was growing up, to be homosexual was kept in the closet, now it's paraded. The Bible says that it's sin. I didn't say it. The Bible says it and I agree. I agree with the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah not only homosexuality and in there they were they were having sex with animals too just just so you know. It's called bestiality. They were arrogant and haughty, overfed and unconcerned. Compare that with America. Much the same. It's interesting to compare America with the Roman Empire, which also eventually fell. Rome began as a republic and so did we. Roman America became a nation among nations. Then both became empires. Both then became the most powerful nation on earth of their day. Both the Roman and American currencies became universal around the world. Both became the leading voices in the world to whom everyone else looked to make decisions. Both the Roman empires and the United States built sports stadiums and enjoyed the brutality of sport. It is said, Rome's happiness hung on a race. And I've lived it and I've watched it. The Christians in this nation, many times, their happiness hangs on a football game or a baseball game. Now, I'm not against sports. I love sports. I enjoy sports. But I love God more. And when I say God, I'm not talking about some, whoo, I'm talking about the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, almighty God. And I'm talking about the blessed Holy Spirit, the three in one. That's who we're talking about around here when we say God. And if you've ever noticed, we keep Jesus, his name on that sign out there just as much as we can. Because when you say God, that could mean anything in this hour. Growing up, when you said God, people understood here in the United States. We're talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, when you say God, it could mean anything. But when I say God, I'm talking about the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, second member of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you see, sports stadiums were built. The, the brutality of sport was glorified and Rome's happiness hung on a race. And we see that here in the United States. Both Rome and the United States have become obsessed with luxuries and pleasure. The Roman Christians became just like the worldly Romans. Listen to that. The Roman Christians became just like the worldly Romans. The Christians in Rome were feasting and playing instead of fasting and praying. Think of that. Here in the United States, you can't tell the difference anymore between a Saturday and a Sunday. When I was growing up, the nation still honored the Lord on a Sunday. You Drive around on a Sunday, go to stores on a Sunday, the stores are closed. It's deader than a doornail. Why? In honor of the Lord. When I was growing up, I was in Little League. I enjoyed it. But not on a Sunday. That was the Lord's Day. I don't know if you're aware of this, but children's sports are taking over Sunday morning. When I was a child growing up, you went over to Fenton City Park on a Saturday, it would be a lot of stuff going on. I'd be over there having a lot of fun. You go over there on a Sunday, it was deader than a doornail in honor of the Lord. Now you go over to Fenton City Park right now, and it'll be hopping and bopping over there, and, and a lot of activity and whatnot going on, you know, uh, on a Sunday. Uh, no different than a Saturday. Dear friends, there's something wrong. That's not okay. I said it's not okay. I said, by the Holy Ghost, it's not okay. It's not, I said, it's not okay. Boy, I feel the power of God. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. Sunday belongs to God. Both the Romans and the. Here in the United States, paraded homosexuality as well as abortion. Sodom and Gomorrah fell. The Roman Empire fell. And I trust that that will not be our fate. But dear friends, we're headed down that road. Unless something changes, unless something turns, and I mean in a big way, that's the way this nation is headed. And some things have changed for the good. We'll say some more about that in just a moment. But back to Jeremiah. Judah, we're talking about what would Jeremiah say to this nation if he were here? Well, Judah committed two major sins. And I believe these sins are America's as well, along with these other things, but these would be at the top of the list. And and because of these two things here that I'm about to say, you get all this other stuff that we've mentioned. Judah forsook God, the living water, and they dug their own cisterns. What does that mean? They tried to fulfill themselves with everything but God. And when... You forsake God, the living water, and you try to do things your own way and you come off his path and you go down your own path or paths that other people have said it's okay to go down. You wind up with all this other darkness that we've mentioned. Now God gave Jeremiah a tough assignment. Jeremiah was to warn the nation of Judah to repent our judgment was coming. And that judgment would be the Babylonians taking them over and putting them into captivity. Jeremiah warned Judah for some 40 years to repent and turn back to God. God is a good God and he will warn and warn and warn and warn and give time and give space to repent. And for some 40 years, Jeremiah cried out along with other prophets... To get them to turn back to God or Judah would be overthrown. And God's hand of protection would lift. You don't ever want God's hand of protection to lift. And he warned them and then the Babylonians would come in and overtake. Jeremiah declared to Judah that a boiling pot of God's impending judgment was about to tip over on them. His words of impending judgment were such that they wearied Jeremiah's secretary, Baruch. But it was the word of the Lord. Why did it weary his secretary? Because the Holy Ghost was saying, repent, repent, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, repent, repent. And Baruch, the secretary, had to write that down, and it wore him out. But it was the word of the Lord. Not only was Baruch, the secretary of Jeremiah, wearied, but Jeremiah spent much of his time weeping as he saw the judgment of God approaching Judah. And thus Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a burden for Judah, and I have a burden for the United States of America. Jeremiah's prophecies were not popular with the people or with the kings or the politicians. Yet God called him as a young man and ordained him a prophet to the nation and put his word in his mouth. You need to understand that when God's words are put in a person's mouth that most of the time the people aren't going to want to hear those words. And so Jeremiah's prophecies were not popular with the people or with the kings or with the politicians. There were plots to kill Jeremiah. Jeremiah was given a nickname, Old Terror on Every Side. I don't want to go hear him preach. He's not going to give us a sugar cookie. He's not going to give us what we want to hear. He's not going to tickle our ears and tell us, Some good thing. And I believe in telling some good thing if the Holy Ghost is saying that. But we must say what the Spirit of God is saying, whether it pleases people or not. And he was given a nickname, Old Terror on Every Side. Jeremiah's messages were like fire. And like a sledgehammer busting a rock. Jeremiah cried out against the religious and political leaders of his day, and so will a man or a woman of God in this hour cry out against the same. Pashur, he was the chief priest of the temple, a religious figure, and he was so displeased with Jeremiah's preaching that he had Jeremiah beaten and put in chains. Our stocks. Jeremiah cried out against King Jehoiakim for exploiting the people to build his own splendid palace with expensive furnishings, and Jeremiah cried out against that that misuse of funds and that opulence. Jeremiah wrote a scroll of judgment against this king. But as the scroll was read, the king didn't like it and cut it in pieces and threw it into the fire. But Jeremiah rewrote the scroll with the same words. You can't change the word of God. At one point, the people came against Jeremiah for preaching what they called a discouraging word, but really it wasn't. It was a word of repentance. And you need to realize, be glad when God's calling you to repent. Be glad when the Holy Ghost is dealing with you. Don't look at it as a negative thing. The Bible says, whom he loves, he rebukes and chastens. Don't get mad at God when he steps on your toes. Be glad he loves you so much that he's doing that. What you don't ever want is you don't ever want God to stop stepping on your toes. You don't ever want God leaving you alone in the midnight hour. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Leave me alone, Lord. I like quibbling in my sin. And, and that says, oh, on the inside when you're doing it. You don't ever want that, oh, it'll leave you. Because that's the Holy Ghost dealing with you. You don't ever want that to stop. You don't ever want to have a man of God that's not preaching under the anointing that doesn't step on your toes once in a while. That means God's leaving you alone. You don't want him to leave you alone. At one point, the people came against Jeremiah for preaching a discouraging word, what they thought was a discouraging word, and uh, they wanted him to be put to death. But they didn't kill him, but he put him in a muddy cistern. Being a man of God isn't all it's cracked up to be, dear friends. When you do it in line with what he once done, you don't necessarily influence a lot of people and win a lot of friends but I'd rather have the Holy Ghost on me for five seconds than any accolade from a human being. Jeremiah became, now listen to this, Jeremiah became so discouraged that he considered never preaching again in the name of the Lord. Because people came against him so, they weren't listening to him. Oh, he's just always down in the mouth. He's just all—he's not going to give us a happy, happy, pappy message. And it got to him so, and he got so discouraged because he was preaching the word of God and he was rejected so by the people that he considered not preaching anymore in the name of the Lord. But God's word was in his bones like a flaming fire. Like fire shut up in his bones. And this was a prophet with fire in his bones but tears in his eyes. I believe if Jeremiah was to look at the landscape of the United States, there would be tears in his eyes, yet fire in his bones. Now listen to this. Jeremiah's greatest challenge was not the political leaders or even the backslidden people. His greatest challenge was the feel-good prophets or preachers of his day. Always preaching and telling the the backslidden people, what they wanted to hear. You think about that sometime. It wasn't the political leaders that was his major problem, or even the backslidden people, but the feel-good, quote-unquote, feel-good preachers and prophets of his day. I encourage you, read the book of Jeremiah sometime. and You'll see that it's so. The feel-good preach, feel-good, always telling people what they wanted to hear. And this is one of the biggest parallels between what was going on in Judah and what is going on right now in America today. So many preachers always preaching on things people want to hear. The Bible says, consider the goodness and severity of God. And in this church, if there's ten sermons, I want eight of them on His goodness. But there needs to be at least two on the severity. Can you live with that? But where the problem is, is when we're going to have 10 out of 10, or 52 out of 52, it's all honey and sugar all the time. That's one of the reasons this nation is in the decline that it's in. Always preaching on things people want to hear. Listen to me. I'd much rather stand up here and tell you things that you'd want to hear. I don't necessarily enjoy preaching a message like this today, but this is what thus saith the Lord, so that's what I'm going to preach. God, Now listen to this. Listen to this. God told Jeremiah to go to the temple and preach his message of impending judgment and call to repentance. And Jeremiah is told, now listen to this, because I get a lot of criticism for things I just said about the feel-good preachers in the land. But Jeremiah is told by God to warn, that go, God tells him, go to the temple and preach your message. That I've given you, and then God tells him to warn the people not to listen to the words of the feel good preachers. You think about that. What were the messages of the feel good preachers of Jeremiah's day? Peace, peace, all is well. Don't worry, you're safe. Yeah, safe to continue in ways that are ungodly. They would cry out and they'd fill the people with false hopes saying God's judgment will never come. These feel-good preachers strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turned from their sins. From the quote-unquote prophets, false prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness, or Judea, ungodliness spread throughout the land, and they were the cause of the sin polluting the land. If you want to know why sin has polluted this land of the United States of America, don't look to the White House, don't look to the Congress, don't look to the Supreme Court, look to the pulpits of America. The quote-unquote false prophets, because they wouldn't say, thus saith the Lord, and they told people what they wanted to hear all the time, was the cause. The Bible's clear in Jeremiah. That was the reason that sin polluted the land. The false prophets were sex-driven and subsidized, subsidizing a culture of sin and never giving it a second thought. I don't know if you realize it or not, but there's one megachurch in this city that uses sex to sell the gospel. One of the biggest megachurches in this city. You need to know that. Sex is good. God gave it. And it's supposed to be used between a man and a woman as a husband and wife. But it shouldn't be paraded in a pulpit to get people to come to your church. God said concerning Judah, they're all like Sodom to me. Like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. That's not good when God's saying that about you. The Reverend Billy Graham, great man of God, said America is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah ever were. That was some time ago when he said that things haven't gotten better but worse along those lines. In Judah, these false prophets preached their everything will turn out fine sermons to congregations with no taste for God. They preached their happy, no judgment, no repentance necessary sermons to people who were set in their own unrepentant ways. God said this to Jeremiah. He said if these False prophets had just bothered to sit down with me and meet with me. What does that mean? That they didn't seek God before they preached their messages. He said, God told Jeremiah, if they had just sat down with me, they'd have preached my message to the people. They'd have gotten the people back on the right track and gotten them out of their evil ruts. So the false preachers of Jeremiah's day was the biggest problem. It's what allowed sin to pollute the land. Concerning the United States, Alexis de Tocqueville, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a French political historian who came to America in the 19th century to see why America was such a great nation. And he said this, he said, I sought for America's greatness in her spacious harbors and ample rivers. It wasn't there. I sought for America's greatness in her feudal fields and boundless forests. It was not there. I sought for America's greatness in her public school systems and institutions of higher learning. It was not there. But he said, it was not until I went to the pulpits of America and found them aflame with the preaching of righteousness that I understood America's greatness. Why isn't America great as she should be? Because so many of the pulpits, I didn't say all of them, but so many of them are not aflame with the preaching of righteousness anymore and haven't been for quite some time. Hananiah was one of these such false prophets of Jeremiah's day. He told the people, you see, Jeremiah had been prophesying and saying, repent, 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 turn, turn, or there'll be 70 years of captivity. But Hananiah stood up and he said, no, 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 no. Jeremiah's wrong, not 70 years. It's only going to be two. Well, how many likes two better than 70 as it pertains to Captivity. If you're going to be sentenced to prison, I'd rather be in there for two years than 70. And by the way, that 70 years that Jeremiah was talking about, listen, that 70 years of captivity, it had to do with the people disrespecting the sabbatical years. And think about this United States. I talked about it a moment ago. We no longer seemingly honor the Sabbath as we should. When that Sabbath is not honored, it brings judgment. See, we talk about homosexuality and we talk about this and that and this and that and this and that or cussing and drinking and smoke all that stuff. We talk about all those things. But think about this, not respecting God's Sabbath. How often do we not mention that? Maybe we ought to mention that because it drew God's judgment. It's not all right to treat Sunday like any other day. Because you see, it drew the judgment of God on these people. They disrespected the Sabbath, 70 cycles, so they went into 70 years of captivity. Now, I've never said that just like that before. That came, the Holy Ghost one that said just, just like that. We need to honor and respect the Sabbath, don't we? And actually it got to the point that Jeremiah actually said, I wish that what these false prophets were saying, I really kind of wish they were true because it sounds so good, it sounds so wonderful. And he actually said, I I wish what they were saying really was true, that it wasn't going to be as bad as what God's been telling me. But Jeremiah couldn't agree with the false prophets. He had to say, thus saith the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just live however we wanted? Wouldn't it be nice if we could eat a dozen a dozen chocolate chip cookies every day and never get fat? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we could go to Krispy Kreme and eat eat two dozen of those every day. And wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's not the truth, is it? And anybody that will stand and feed you a dozen chocolate chip cookies or, or a dozen Krispy uh, creams every day and tell you, here, come, eat some more. They're not your friend. They don't really love you. Let's let's have a few Krispy creams, Let's just don't, don't make ourselves sick on them. Can you say amen? And as a result of the messages of the feel-good prophets, listen to this, as a result of the messages of these feel-good preachers of Jeremiah's day, Listen to this. The people of the land became so cold toward God that the chances of them having national repentance was about the same as a leopard changing its spots. That's what the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah. Did you get that statement? You need to really think about that. The people had become, because of the messages of of the false prophets, the people had become so cold toward God. And by the way, you need to understand this. When I say false prophet, a lot of times people think, and, and they sit and they think, oh, this guy is just easy to spot. Listen, a false prophet is not easy to spot. You need to understand that. You'll look at them and they'll, they'll look so shiny and they'll look so good and they'll look so right. And most of what they're saying a lot of times, there's a lot of truth in it, but, but there's just enough poison to damn your soul. Did you get what I just said? And the people had become so cold toward God that the chances of them repenting was about the same as a leopard changing its spots. So, when God saw the people weren't listening, He sent a drought to give the people a wake up call to repent before the ultimate judgment of Babylonian captivity would come. And when the drought hit, the people cried out, They said, Lord, Lord, where are you? But God did not answer. And why didn't he answer? Because he knew it was false repentance because when the drought stopped, the people went right back to their evil ways. I think about the United States here on 9-11-2001. How many remembers that day? And the plane struck the World Trade Tower. And there was a fake repentance in this land for about a week, maybe two. And this nation has not gotten closer to God after that, but yet further and further away. Now, Jeremiah, though he had much judgment to say concerning... Judah, I want you to look at Jeremiah 29:11. Jeremiah 29:11. Jeremiah 29:11. Okay, go there would you, if you would. Jeremiah 29:11. Do you have that? Right in the midst of all this judgment and the people... See, this, this This verse is read a lot of times. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Have you ever read that? Have you ever seen that? But you know a lot of times that's picked and it's pulled out of context. This was This was before they were headed into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. But you see, this a lot of times is picked out by the feel-good preachers. And they'll say, "They'll say, I know the plans I have for you, declares our plans to prosper you and not harm you and so forth. You've got to understand the context. They were headed into Babylonian captivity. God had been warning them, warning them, warning them, warning them, and so forth and so on. But God looks beyond that. Aren't you glad that God can look beyond something? And he said, "Even though this is coming upon you because you wouldn't listen to me, I still know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and notice in the midst of judgment, God looks past it, and he says, Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future and how many of you know that that even if judgment is pending on this nation, God still wants good for all of us. You need to understand that. Can you say amen to that because sometimes i get i get i get stamped as being a down in the mouth preacher when I have to preach these kinds of messages but I want you to know God has your good at heart. He wants good things for you. He wants good things for all of us. But we can't live like the devil is a nation and expect the blessings of God to flow. So let me close by saying what about America? It's interesting it's it, it just it, it just amazes me it amuses me it amazes me that even in the midst of the 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 sixty million children being aborted and the homosexuality and all of that going on you'll have some preachers stand up on national television and they'll continuously declare that Blessings, blessings, blessings on the United States prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. How can you live like this nation has lived and expect god 's blessing and they'll say abundance and increase on every side how can they're not serving the God i 'm serving they're not they're not listening to the God i 'm listening to, and then you get some preachers they're continuously proclaiming gloom and doom, gloom and doom, gloom and doom. Listen, ten messages in this church, eight of them on the goodness of God, two of them on the severity as directed by the Holy Ghost. Can you live with that? What about America? I see this is what God has shown me. You can do with whatever you want with it don't mean nothing to you, just throw it out and don't think anything of it anymore. But this is what I see. I see God's impending judgment upon America and I see calamity coming to this nation unless there's national repentance. For America, national repentance would, and I'm talking about like what they had in Nineveh. Repentance from the king to the cattle. Turning from these sins we've talked about here today. But also, and perhaps first and foremost, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, must be invited back into the public school system and into the public square. Roe versus Wade, that horrible abortion ruling must be overturned and same-sex marriages must be outlawed and unless those three and I'm saying thus saith the Lord God Almighty unless those three things are part of the repentance the judgment of God pens. Did you get what I just said? Those three things right there It's kind of like when Elijah said there'll be no more rain except at my word I'm telling you that unless these three things are rectified the judgment of God stands and pins on this nation. And just in case you missed it God's got to be invited back into the public school system. Back into the public square Roe versus Wade must be overturned and same-sex marriages must be outlawed. There must be national repentance like they had in Nineveh, as I said, from the cattle, from the king to the cattle. And and I was thinking about this. Now, I'm almost finished, but just give me a few more moments. I was thinking about this. What would it take to get the United States as a whole to repent? What would it take? What would it take to get the majority of the mega church TV preachers in the United States to preach the Word of God and stop with all the feel-good, how-to-get-prosperous talks all the time? What would it take? Might be a good title for this message. What in the world would it take? What would it take to get Christians as a whole... Listen to me now. What would it take to get Christians as a whole interested in the Word of God and prayer again instead of every other kind of thing you can think of? What would it take to get Christians to come to church every Sunday or at least on a regular basis, not just on a hit and miss once in a while? What would it take? What would it take to get, again, what would it take to get Christians as interested in the Word of God and prayer again instead of every other kind of thing that you can think of? From my experience over decades, not only this church but others, if the church has a party and you're serving candy, many people will show, but if you're teaching the Word of God or you have a prayer service, hardly anybody shows up. What would it take to get all that to change? I I, I was thinking about that. Diane and I were talking about it, and I was talking to the Lord about it. Would a message from a for-real preacher like Billy Graham do it? Well, he called for that before he went to heaven. Yet I've seen no repentance in the land. Not like this. I'm talking about national repentance from the king to the cattle. And you need to understand this. Even back in the late 1970s, Billy Graham preached a message right here in St. Louis at the arena and he titled it the handwriting on the wall and he warned this city and the nation over television of the many things I've talked about in this message today. He called for national repentance. And this nation has not moved closer to God since then but much further away. His son Franklin and other good preachers call for national repentance yet there is none. What about a drought? Would a drought cause something like this? Or a fire? What about a hurricane or a flood? You know, weather pattern changes have been happening in this nation. I don't know if you realize it. And in the Bible, when weather patterns change, it's a sign of a of the judgment of God. Would a fire or a hurricane or a flood or a drought or a tornado you know, NATO? Would any of these things The United States has had weather changes, as I said. We've had droughts, we've had fires, we've had hurricanes, floods, yet I see no repentance in the land. Dear friends, I'm not so sure that one more message from a preacher is going to do it. I'm not so sure that another hurricane or a flood, it's not going to do it. What would it take for America to experience national repentance? Do you want to know the answer to that? I don't know. But God knows if it is possible. Sometimes I feel like Jeremiah, that it would be easier for a leopard to change its spots than for America to have national repentance. However, I'm not ready to give up. Are you? We must continue to pray for America and especially for the midterm elections. I believe God is using President Trump to give the United States a reprieve. Now, and I don't agree with everything that he may have done in his previous life or, you know, any immorality. I'm not condoning that. But I tell you what, God will put his hand on a person at times and raise them up for a work. And I'm telling you, that man was born to be the president in this hour. And, and, and one thing, you know, there, well, let me, let, let me just read this. I believe God's using President Trump to give the United States a reprieve. The nation under Hillary Clinton would have become far more godless than it became under Barack Obama. Many good things are happening under President Trump, whether you're aware of it or not. One good thing is he's allowing me to stand here and say what I just said without having to worry about somebody arresting me. Many good things are happening. The Supreme Court, thank God, is moving in a conservative direction, which is more in line with the Bible. You've seen that yesterday. Thank God for it. And I hope he gets to put some more conservative ones on there because if you listen to my message, Roe versus Wade must be overturned. Same-sex marriages must be outlawed. How many of you know I love homosexuals? I do. God loves them. But but the message is, you attend this church, everybody's welcome, but nobody's comfortable unless all the sin that's in your life is squared up and straightened up and confessed and living right. Can you say amen? amen. Everybody welcome, nobody comfortable if there's something there that shouldn't be. Well, I feel the power of God on that. But you need to listen to me. If the Democrats take over the House and our Senate in the midterms, Most of the good that has been accomplished in the past two years under Mr. Trump will almost certainly be undone. You need to understand that. A lot of times people get complacent in these midterms. You see, we prayed for the 2016 election. We must do the same now. And then put action to our faith and prayers and go and vote. Senator Chuck Schumer yesterday declared that the Democrats should do just that. He said, go out and vote. And the implication there was certainly, uh, with a certain implication, that they want to overturn the good accomplishments of the last two years. He said it. I heard him say it on television yesterday. So how should Christians pray for America? Well, this is what we're going to do. This is my prayer This is what I'll pray, that God would do. Remember a moment ago when I said I don't know what it would take for national, and I don't. But God knows, and my prayer is, is that God would do whatever it takes. And I believe only he knows what that is, to bring the United States to national repentance. I'm going to pray that all of the pulpits would again be aflame with the preaching of righteousness. For the political arena, I'm going to pray that which is done in darkness would be brought to the light. Just what we prayed for the last one, the last election. And that Christians would be unctioned by, the the Holy Ghost would unction Christians to go out and not only just pray, but vote in line with the Bible. And then I'm going to lastly pray that if no national repentance, that the judgment of God would be postponed as long as possible. Jeremiah was told by God to go search the streets for one honest person. And God said, if you can find one honest person, I'll spare the city. See, God doesn't want to have to judge. He doesn't want to bring judgment. He wants repentance, so he doesn't have to judge. And Jeremiah went out, and he searched the city, and he couldn't find one honest person. They were all liars. And so judgment came. Abraham did a similar thing in Sodom. Oh, God, if there be, you know, he... 50 40 30 20 10 righteous and god said i'll spare it for 10 and he couldn't even find 10 remember that the angels but i'm going to tell you there are many more honest people in this nation than one or 10 so that's when you pray that's how you go before god and negotiate that's what intercession is negotiation and, and stand and say god You know, you'd spare Judah for one. You'd spare Sodom and Gomorrah for ten. There's much more than ten here. And and you can get God to postpone judgment. But with that noted, listen to me, Jeremiah talked about a boiling pot of scalding water that can be tilted to the point of tipping over and the judgment of God spilling out. The Bible talks about a time that comes when iniquity is full and then judgment comes. Billy Graham said from the great arena down there, that great preacher under the power of the Holy Ghost in St. Louis in the late 1970s, he said that there is a line that can be crossed which will cause the judgment of God to come. And I'm here today to tell you the United States is very close to that line. But I believe there is still time to turn things around. And you know Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now bow your heads with me if you would. We're going to close with just a brief time of prayer here. I'm going to start out by praying. What I said I'm going to pray. And then uh, I'm going to ask you. I'll go around the room. If anybody wants to pray, just raise your hand. I'll call on you. You can pray. And then when that's exhausted, when that time's over, uh, then we'll uh